You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am your host, Kristen Maxwell, and in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, I am going to be talking to Dora Carpenter about moving from grief into hope. And Dora Carpenter is a luminary and pioneer in the grief coach certification movement. And based on years of experience with working with hundreds of families in the death care industry and her own experiences, Dora founded the Institute of Professional Grief Coaching and the International Coaching Federation accredited from grief to gratitude coach certification. Dora believes that grief is not to be fixed or cured, but is a necessary part of the experience of transitioning from despair to into hope. So Dora, welcome to your superpowered mind. Thank you, Kristen. So honored to be here today. Thank you. You are doing some really important work out there in the world. Um, And I'm really excited to get some of your, you know, your thoughts on grief, because grief is something that we don't talk about very well in our culture. And um, the idea of grief, I think, is very overwhelming. And so I'm really curious to, to get your perspectives on that. But before we do, I'm going to ask you my first question, which is what superpower did you uncover as a result of mastering your mind or in the process of mastering your mind? That is an awesome question to ask. And I tell you, um, Kristen, I never really thought of it from that perspective. So it was it was actually thought provoking for me. So I say that for me, it's simply just listening to that still small inner voice that I like to say that divine intuitive guidance and listening to it, knowing and then acting on it has been what propels me. So if I had to define my superpower, it would be that. I don't know whether I would say intuitive, but divinely inspired thought. Ah, That's lovely. Divinely inspired thought. I do love that. And I'm curious, is that something that you could always do? That's a great question also, because sometimes I question, where did that come from? When I was 21, I read a book, The Magic of Thinking Big, um, and I still read it today. I read it several times a year. Uh, And that second chapter, Cure Yourself of Excusitis, the Failure Disease, is always my favorite chapter. But even before that, when I think about it and I go back to even my childhood, it's what really propelled you, Dora, to think that 
you could do whatever you set out to do. Now, I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's a yeah. question that I still ask myself. What made you feel that whatever you set out to do or whatever um, that thought that comes? And usually for me, Kristen, it's early in the morning, like when I awake, there's this thought and, and I'm a type A personality. So there's this thought, um, create this, uh, do this, call this person, go do this. And then I just, without any excuse or without any hesitation, I may change courses for the day or course correct. But that's always been. And so I just, you know, I don't do no very well. I don't take no. I just proceed. And if however it works out to me, that's the way it's supposed to work out. That's the lesson I'm supposed to learn or that's how I'm supposed to course correct or that's how I'm supposed to expand on it and go further. Wow. What a proactive way of looking at things. That's amazing. We're going to go into that a little bit more, but before we do, um, I want to let everybody know um, before we take a super quick break that they can find more about you, Dora Carpenter at doracarpenter.com. And I will certainly have the link um, to your page in the show notes. Uh, and you can also, if you go to yoursuperpoweredmind.com, you can check out what we do at Superpower Experts around creating community and helping people to check, you know, into their own divine space. Hang on a moment and we'll come back and talk more about moving from grief to hope. Hi, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace, connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens? Then join us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So, Dora, I guess... Where I want to start with taught in this conversation about grief is, um, you know, what sort of what I alluded to in the in the first part, which you have on your website, the grief is not to be fixed or cured, but is a necessary part of transitioning from despair. And what is your view on grief? Um, you know, and how did you come to becoming this grief specialist? Um, well. I found I landed there, I should say, by accident. I like to say by accident. Um, however, I'm grateful that I landed in that place, at, which was in the death care industry, working with families, helping them to make final arrangements for loved ones. And as a part of that process, we, of course, meet them at the time of, meet them at the memorial service. And if they allowed us, we would meet them in their homes after just to make sure we did everything correctly. But Kristen, what I found was that meeting them in their homes was when they needed more help because they wanted to share stories. They wanted to talk about their loved ones. And the reality of the death and the grief actually had set in at that point. And so I realized that's when they needed more help 
than when they were sitting at the table with me trying to make hundreds and hundreds of decisions. And so I proposed for my employer that we start some type of grief support program. And that's how I found grief coaching. But that request was denied. And again, I don't take no very well. So I took their no at the time but made it my yes. And I got the training as a grief coach and started offering free grief support at the local libraries here in Washington, DC. And then one thing led to another because there's so many reasons why we don't seek help, why people suffer in silence, but it's not really a sympathy problem. We do care and we are concerned, but it's an education problem because it's the subject that no one wants to talk about, but everyone needs to hear because the reality is death will visit every household, every workplace, every community at some point. So the more we start to talk about it, I believe that we can start to normalize the conversation. And then when it happens, because it really is a part of life, then we're better able to handle it, to cope with it, to know what to say to someone who's grieving, to know what's not the best thing to say to someone who's grieving. So again, it's an education problem that our society still believes it's dark. It's, um, there's so many myths um, and, and, and our upbringing that it's a hush-hush or we'll, we're to deal with it in silence or it's a mental health condition or you're shunned if you ask for help. So we have a lot to do in the form of educating on this subject and the topic. Yes, very much so. And there's a number of different layers in there that I want to, uh, to go into. But I guess I want to start with when... Uh, when somebody is grieving, what does support look like? What is it that um, maybe people are needing? I know everybody's different, but if there are broad strokes, you know, what does grief look like and what do they need? That's a good question too. And I'll, and I'll start by saying that, um, we're all unique individuals. So just like our DNA, our fingerprint is unique. Everyone's grief journey is going to be unique. So that's a misconception as well. Even siblings, Kristen, of the same birth mother will have different experiences with grief. Um, sitting at the table making arrangements um, for a birth mother. One may be very stoic and wants to take care of the business. One may be too distraught to take care of the business. Um, one may be overwhelmed. Neither is right and neither is wrong. So one thing is accepting and acknowledging that each of our grief journeys will be unique to us. So what do we need? Even though our grief journeys are unique on the other side, we need to acknowledge the uniqueness of the grief. And what we found that is needed most that people don't realize, we don't need to try to fix you. We don't need to try to cure you. We don't need to try to say there are certain steps or stages that everyone must go through, but we need to allow you 
to give yourself permission to grieve. And then from our perspective, we need to listen to you without fixing, without judging, without saying, well, this worked for me. Um, This is what you should do, or this is what you shouldn't do. But no, we want to listen to you. And that's why so many people suffer in silence because everyone tells them you should do this. You shouldn't do this. Oh, this worked for me versus let me give me permission to feel whatever I feel because that's normal and natural for you. And I'm here to listen, to give you that safe, nurturing, non-judgmental space in which you can share whatever it is that you're feeling. So initially for anyone, it's listen without fixing. Yes. And what I'm wondering is, um, how, I guess, do you find that people are helped by being able to talk about it? Are there some people who want to talk about it, don't want to talk about it? Or is it something everybody has to talk about at some point? Is Again, I realize everybody's different, but broad strokes, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And some people don't, you know, there's, 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 many research studies, but um, we're all familiar with the Boston Coconut Grove fire of 1942, where there were 400 um, burn victims. And Dr. Eric Linderman, the psychiatrist, did a study. And what he found is that those whose wounds, and we know this, but those whose physical wounds were healing more successfully were the ones who openly talked about their grief. They talked about those they lost. They talked about feeling guilty over surviving when some of their family members had not versus the ones who either pretended that it never happened. They said it was too painful to talk about. Um, Wounds were not healing as successfully. And so Dr. Lindemann concluded that grief must be faced regardless, in order for those physical and emotional wounds to heal. Because if we hold it inside for whatever reason, it can oftentimes become unresolved grief. And unresolved grief can have negative effects on your mental, emotional, um, physical well-being, maybe not initially, but long-term. And you realize, well, why isn't this part of my life working well? And when you when you dig deeper, it could be because of a death that occurred 10 years ago that you never really dealt with. You never talked about it. Or for several reasons, maybe there were so many other things, challenges going on in life at the time. So research proves that um, to get through successfully, we call it doing the grief work, um, to get to successfully do the grief work, you must face it openly, no matter how challenging, no matter how difficult that may be, because it is a process. You can't just snap your finger and say, you'll be okay. It's a process. And so that's why we encourage people to do the work. Yes. And I could see how it could be hard if you've got somebody who does not seem to be facing 
the grief openly, that it would be hard because you would almost want to draw it out of them. But at the same time, you need to let people do it the way they need to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes we want to help them. It's, and it's just like you say, we know that, you know, we can help you move through it. And there, there are different areas. We coach. So we're not professional counselors, therapists, mental health professionals. And because there are those who do need that. Um, but sometimes we want to help them and they're either not ready for the help or they just choose not to. Um, so one of the things I, I always tell my coaches is understand that um, you're not going to be able to help everyone all of the time. And I think it's more difficult for us than it is for that person who chooses to, as we say, stay stuck and spiral down in that deep, dark fog of grief. Because there are many that that do that. And we used to use a term in the, in the death care industry that's called dying with the deceased. Because after you lose that loved one, you die as far as living your life. You die emotionally. And then it, there are instances where that remaining loved one does die physically as a, as a result. Or sometimes we say they died from a broken heart. Yeah. And so I guess what, you know, if one of the steps is to face of successful grief work, if we're going to call it that, are there other um, aspects uh, that need to be faced or are part of that? Uh, well, at, at um, for grief to graduate coaching program, we use uh, a five-step model that and there are many many models um this one i created as a result of working with the hundreds and hundreds of families which starts with again allowing that person to i like to say spit it out vomit it out regurgitate it out whatever it is um, that you're feeling and then move them through that because if if we can't get them to let out give themselves permission to grieve then we can't move them but then it it we move them into now let's talk about the person how can we remember to honor that person's life? Who was that person? What lessons did you learn? What can you carry into someone else's life? And then slowly, Kristen, start to shift them into, now let's start to look at how we can incorporate some new traditions into the old traditions, not getting rid of the old traditions, but slowly incorporating into new traditions. Because what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is for that person to realize that, you know what? My life still matters. My life still counts. And my life can have meaning and purpose. And so getting them to start to embrace that new life. No, it will not be the same because we can't go back and change the past, but it can have meaning and purpose if we choose that route. So let's start to look at your life and let's start to look at your legacy. And I like to tease my clients and say, what's 
your what will your loved ones say when they have to sit at the table and make final arrangements for you? What legacy will you leave? What stories will they remember? Because then it starts to shift to say, oh my goodness. Okay, well, what does my life stand for? We're all familiar with the poem, The Dash. So it's not the year of birth and it's not the year of death, but what happens in between that's left? So starting to look at their own legacy and then getting them to move into that space of gratitude for the right now. Gratitude, I like to say my mantra is, Everything in life is temporary, including life itself. So decide to say yes to the gift of now, because Kristen, that's really all we have. And they call me Pollyanna. So my friends will say, okay, Pollyanna. So what's the positive in the pandemic? And I will say, if we have to find the positive in the pandemic, it's the pandemic has put the fragility of life front and center with us. We have to acknowledge now how fragile life is. So all we have is right now. So how do I say yes to that? What do I need to say yes to? Yeah. And just out of curiosity, have you always been positive like this? It sounds like it. (laughs) I really have. I really have. I just believe that, um, you know, I believe everyone can do, be, and have whatever they want in life. I, a, a caveat to that is, I think if you help enough other people do, be, and have what they want in life. But yeah, that's one of those things that I said in the beginning. Um, where did it come from? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's amazing because that's where obviously where I work with a lot of people is they've got big goals and people they want to help, and yet they're still hiding you know, and in this fear and unable to move forward, you know, without moving a lot of stuff. So I think it's really um, fun and special to meet somebody who really is not held back by that, just mm-hmm. in that way. That's that's very, very cool. Okay, so I'm going to go back. And one of the things that you had mentioned earlier is how part of what um, it sounds like your work do it is and what would be good for all of us is to start to recognize death um, is not always, I guess, a tragedy in the way we say that it is um, in society or to find, you know, just to, to accept it more, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because see, once we start to look at it as a normal part of life, then I think we live more fully so that a lot of, we're still going to have emotions, absolutely, when we lose someone or, or you know, grief from any, any form of loss. We're going to have those emotions. But once we start to accept And I want to say not fear, but we can't all get to the point of not fearing death. But once we are once we talk more about it, then I believe that we can live more fully in the now. What will that do? My belief is that it will reduce 
reduce, I can't say eliminate, I would like to say, but I feel that it will reduce a lot of the more painful emotions that we have at the time of death, such as guilt, such as regret, such as the, oh, if only I had, oh, I wish that I had. So living fully in the now and accepting that, yes, this is a part of life. There is birth and there is death, but I do have right now. So how can I live fully in the right now? Mm, and, and, talking, and, and, and talking about it so that it's not, we look at it as it's a dark subject. Oh, you know, let's not talk about it. Or when someone loses a loved one and we feel, oh, don't mention the name because we don't want to upset them. And see, we're not educated enough to know that that's not true. The person wants you to mention the name because when you mention the name, um, that means that, okay, you haven't forgotten about my loved one. Um, Gloria Vanderbilt's son, um, Carter, died by suicide at the age of 23. In an article, she says, people will start to talk about him and then they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she says, she says, no, 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 please talk about him more and more and more because, you know, that means that his life meant something and you haven't forgotten about him. So again, it's education. We don't know these things. Kristen, um, medical students don't have grief education as a part of their required curriculum. That's alarming to me and it should be alarming to everyone because, these are the physicians that come to you and say, I'm sorry, we did everything that we could, and they walk away. Well, if medical students don't have grief education as a part of their curriculum, we can't expect for uh, managers, supervisors, uh, administrators to know what grief is, what that person is feeling, how I should respond to them, what I should say, what I shouldn't say. So we have so much work to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so are there some things like that we should not say if somebody <laughs> is, you know, especially well, it, when they're in the grieving process, it is always that, oh, what do I, you know, what do I say and what don't I say? Yeah, there, there are actually fewer things to say, um, than not to say. One of the main ones to not say that we say, and and before I say them, it's, you know, it's not our fault. It's not our fault because we do mean well. It's just no one has told us. So when we say, I understand how you feel. Um, if Kristen, if you've lost your spouse and I've lost my spouse and I say, Kristen, I understand how you feel because I lost my spouse too. And blah, 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 blah. Well, you in the, inside may feel, Dora, you don't have a clue as to how I feel. And I really don't. I don't know the intimate relationship you share with your spouse. And sometimes we don't know the relationship that was not shared at the time of the death. So we should not say, I understand how you feel. What can we say instead? Kristen, I can't imagine how you feel. Or Kristen, 
this must be very difficult for you. I'm here to support you in whatever way that you can, that I can. Or we'll, we'll say um, things that we think help. Don't cry, be strong. Well, what does that do? That means crying is weak is to be weak and no crying is healthy um the old saying that um crying heals the soul so we say uh, don't go to the cemetery every day stop going to the cemetery every day and we think that's a trigger for the person well that might be their personal ritual where they find um, connection or they find solace for their own soul. So there's just so many things that we say that we're, you know, or we'll say, that's terrible. Tell me what happened. And we want to know, but maybe that person isn't ready to share it. And then oftentimes let's say if it's an instant and it's, it's, um, death by suicide maybe they haven't wrapped their their head around that them yet they're not ready to share so let's not push them to tell me what happened tell me what happened so there's so many things silence silence is golden my condolences on your loss that's that's safe try not to say um call me if you need anything we mean well but they have thousands of things to do. So if you know the routine of that person, if you do then offer, I'll be more than happy to take the children to Roddy or to school. Um, I'll be more than happy to do the grocery shopping. So it's just a matter again, Kristen, of education. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and do you find that um, in the process? Well, and I don't know if this would be true or not. Is it, easier if somebody has a belief in afterlife or doesn't believe, you know, is there a difference in acceptance around that? It, yeah, it depends on the person because they have to, um, their grief process is based on their belief system. And that's why, again, when I say do not judge, we cannot judge because if that person believes in, let's say, a heaven or hell, and their spiritual belief says that their loved ones, now the soul is in heaven, then that's their personal connection still. I, th I think we all will, I, I don't believe the soul ever dies. So there's still a connection in some form based on how that individual feels, but that will help that person. Some people rely on their spiritual belief, their faith, their religion to help them through that grief process. At the same time, some people can be angry with their faith, their religion. They can be angry with God and that okay too at that particular time, because that's what they feel. Again, let's not say to them, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't be angry with God. Well, stop it, because mm -hmm. that's how they feel at that particular time. So culture plays a big role in that. You know, culture plays a role in the final disposition of the body. Let's not judge when someone's, oh, we're opting for cremation. Oh, you're going to burn. No, let's, let's not judge. Let's not judge when someone says um, we have to bury in 24 hours. Culture will play a part in that. 
let's not judge when someone feels, oh, the death was by suicide. They're, they're not going to make it to the pearly gates. Well, do you know that? Or is that your belief? Let's not push that on someone else. Yeah. Yeah, there is so much there in terms of, um, I guess, but that having that connection of like, maybe they're here somewhere, somehow, you know, let them definitely have that and hold on to that. Um, and I can imagine that some people probably try to talk people into their faith at that time too. And I'm, I'm suspecting that's not, that's a big no, no. Also, <laughs> that's a big no, no, that's, 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 you know, someone's just had a stillbirth and someone calls them. And of course they're, you know, that mom is distraught and the person on the other end says, well, honey, God knows best. Well, Ugh. why? you know, what did I do? What did I do to anger God? You know, uh, he let me do all my prenatal visits. I named my baby angel. So why? Mm -hmm. So we, we, we have to be very, you know, we have to think, think first, but we can't think if we don't know. Yes. Okay. I have two <laughs> questions. We're really running out of time. And I guess I would say is, is there like a standard, this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there like a standard time for grief. And even as I'm asking that, I'm like, hmm, I can't imagine there is really. No, there isn't. There yeah. isn't. No. No. And I, I know. If, if it's pro-prolonged, and I don't like to say that because then you say what's prolonged, but, you know, watch for signs and symptoms of, you know, spiraling down into severe depression. Um, those those tendencies to want to harm yourself, someone else, um, resulting for, um um, substance abuse, then you definitely want to seek professional help. Mm -hmm. But no, there's no set time frame. Yeah. And I guess what I, what I'm getting as you saying this is that it's also very possible to go through the grief process without spiraling into depression. I mean, well, maybe you will, but into like a really deep depression and or heart self-harm you know, that it's possible yes. to do that. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It yeah. absolutely is. But, but, you know, and because once you know that what you're feeling is normal and natural, it's normal and natural response to loss. So even a client coming in saying, well, I feel relief, but everyone says that that's terrible. I shouldn't feel relief. Well, you do feel, I, I understand that you feel, re, I, I see that you feel relief because, you know, you took care of your loved one for two years and now you're able to go back and do the things you're able to go back to church. So relief is right for, for you. So being yeah. that you're able to say that without judgment or, or, or someone condemning you, then let's talk about that. And then let's move you to where is it that going to help you now to move forward with life and then we move you but you have to be the person has to be ready and want to um, receive the help yes and so if you are somebody if you know somebody's listening is dealing with grief or knows somebody who is really involved in it how how do you go about finding support? There, there's so many uh, resources, Kristen. There are lots of 
online groups. There are lots of support groups. Um, we have coaches. Um, our coaches are certified grief coaches. Um, our program is accredited by the International Coach Federation. So we do use the core competencies of coaching. Um, so you can use a grief coach. You can use, you know, your spiritual advisor. Just make sure, again, that it's someone who is not going to judge you or is not or does not feel that grief is linear and everyone fits into the same pattern or path of getting through the grief. Yeah, great. Thank you for that reminder. Can you Certainly. remind people where they can learn about you and and your work? Certainly. Um, either site, there is the doracarpenter.com site, or um, if anyone's interested in learning more about the grief coaching program, where you can work through your own personal grief while learning to help others, then that's the from grief to gratitude.com site. Great. Thank you so much, Dora, for being this voice out there in the world for people who really need you. And obviously we're, we're needing that right now. Um, and listeners, thank you to yourselves for showing up for yourselves. Um, and until next time, remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 